Surreal Noir by Dime Store Films. Part 6. Guy sleepwalks through town, camouflaged by a school of junkies. High on the flame himself, he finally understands what's been captivating him. The land is stitched together like a quilt of misery, and the seams radiate with a neon glow. Guy delights in this new illuminated world. His companions march on with giddy grins and awestruck eyes. The procession ends at the preacher's chapel. The double doors flung open for all to wander in or be collected like a fly trap. The preacher is in the middle of a sermon, his megaphone belching out the good word. The benches are peppered with a few folks gathered to worship as the migration of junkies arrive to fill in the gaps. Guy is the last one to stumble in. Guy sits in the back of the chapel, studying the building's glowing fissures like blueprints. The preacher pauses and turns his attention to Guy. Ah, oh, our visitor, once a conduit to deliver us a gift, has felt the spirit run through him. Our traveler has seen the light. Do not be afraid, brother. Come forth. Join me. The preacher extends a hand to Guy. Hypnotized by all the theatrics, Guy stumbles slowly up the aisle. The preacher meets him halfway and pulls him along to the altar. Cradling Guy before him, the preacher continues. I will show you the road to becoming your brother's keeper. What ails you, my son? Guy is bewildered. His brain can't get his mouth to form any words. His eyes dance around the room, unable to focus. The preacher tenderly shifts Guy's head to one side and stares at the rotting wound on his cheek. Yes, yes, you have seen pain. I can see it on the surface, but it goes deeper than that, does it not? Let me be your relief. Let me take your pain as my own. We all will share the load, brothers and sisters. With nimble fingers, the preacher unbuckles the leather straps holding his mouthpiece in place and slowly lowers it to the ground. Guy's eyes settle long enough to focus, catching glimmers of light emanating from the preacher's mouth. Even amongst the wild hallucinations of this drug, the preacher's glowing mouth stands out. He gently moves his mouth closer to Guy's wounded cheek, who recoils. The preacher comforts him like a fussy infant and moves in closer. Pressing his lips to the wound, he begins to suck. He pulls his head back and spits the rod out into a chalice, then repeats. The crowd is silent with wonder and horror. Some drop to their knees and start to mumble praise. Guy is powerless against the preacher's attempts to cleanse him. There's a rejuvenation that he can't deny, and he does his best to play the part of the faithful. As his eyes dart around the room, he notices the glowing veins of the foundation forming crude symbols. When the preacher has finished his ritual, he ushers Guy back to a bench to sit. Guy's head bobs and dips. Stay awake. Not now. There's something here. The junkies line up in the aisle as the preacher reverently extends his arms. Guy's head plunges once more, heavy with the day's revelations. (gasps) 
Guy's head jerks up. The service is over, and Guy's the only one that remains. The visual effects of the drug have worn off, and Guy's left looking at a dull, empty church. You looked so at peace. That's a rare grace we get. I couldn't bring myself to interrupt a gift like that. Won't you pray with me, friend? Guy indulges him and kneels beside the preacher. Why are you here? I'm uh, looking for... Uh, sh 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 no, I'm not asking how you came to this small little town. At some point in your life, there were choices, and those choices led you to perdition. Where did you stray from his path? I can see all the pressure built up in you. You're like a kettle on the boil. If you don't whistle, no one's going to take you off the burner. You need tending. We all do, whether you like it or not. Guy hangs his head and sighs. He's tired of keeping up a front. It's not worth it for this piss-poor illusionist. You know, that's the problem with all you religious types. You know that? You're looking for the meaning in everything, but sometimes, you know what? Shit don't mean shit. You are who you are. You do what you do. I mean, I can pinpoint what I did wrong, okay? And I repeated that. Again. And again, and even when I told myself I wasn't going to do it anymore, I kept up the same shit, and now I'm here. Sounds to me like you gave in and gave up. I just gave up. I'm trying to make sense of it. I don't need redemption or judgment. I just, just need fucking rest. You say you don't need judgment, and this is not the place for it. I myself am right here alongside of you. I'm... Proof enough that he does not play favorites. You said yourself one's actions are one's own. Well, the same can be said of one's inaction. Well, then maybe you can settle something for me. See, the way I always understood it was as long as you believe, well, that was as good as being good, right? Believing led to forgiveness, uh, rewarding afterlife, you know, whatever. So, must have done something real bad to beat all that praying and believing and kneeling and running those little beads through your fingers. Is that right? Yes. I was flawed in life, born the way we all are. Pride was my vice. I was given the gift of faith and eloquence, and I used that gift to save others. But I began to believe that my success meant that I was entitled to what I felt I deserved, what I felt he wanted me to have, who he wanted me to have. I knew many women, but none so wild as her. She was a challenge. She was a test. And I studied her backwards and front. But in the end, she broke me. Any chance of redemption I had on earth, she kept in her pocket like a penny for a rainy day. And now I have to face that. I feel like we're just going in circles here, Padre. The past is the past, all right? You're here, and you have to answer for that. Do your time like everyone else. Oh, no, no. If the past were truly gone, she would be gone with it. But here she is, here to test me once again, sitting atop that hill in that mansion of excess. That's why she has risen to such prominence. Yes, like her, I also see opportunity, but I see the opportunity to rebuild. What makes you so convinced? What? Uh, it's just a matter of time before those people out there tear you apart like they're tearing each other apart. The only people who come to, to what, worship with you? 
They're hallucinating deadbeats who just need something to do, okay? Explain the signs, then. That crippled harlot told me we'd escape this place together. She said, honey, I'll draw you a map. And I wallowed when she forgot that promise. But our father never broke his word. He said I would be punished, and he made good on that. Now I want to do whatever I can do to atone for it. So I'm here to shepherd those that cannot find the path themselves. My words have helped some of these damned souls find a deliverance. Maybe one day he'll smile upon me again as he has smiled upon those I have guided. He has shown me I am on the right path. I would love to start you on that path if you are ready to embark. The preacher closes his eyes and prays to whatever God is listening all the way down here. Guy contemplates his story. This is the first time someone has intentionally shown him vulnerability. And this is the first time Guy has been given an opportunity to show mercy. The mister sits in her office gorging on another bowl of raw meat. There's an unusual calm to her hive, which typically buzzes with Jeffrey's eager to please her, or Avic's desperate for another match. Downstairs, a commotion grows, approaching her quarters. The door opens and a gang of Jeffreys walk in, escorting Guy. They hoist him along under his arms, his wrists now bound. Whatever attempt he made to force his way in clearly hit a wall. They shove him in front of the mister's desk to await judgment. He can barely stand up straight. Oh, I was worried I had broken you, but it looks like you found your spark. I don't need a spark. I need a flame. Oh, now, sweetie, you know the rules. Everything comes with a price tag, and no more good neighbor discounts neither. You want your next sniff? You better have something to offer. How about I spin you a tale? Had a little talk with a mutual friend of ours. No. No, no, no. There's nothing mutual about us. You only have what I allow you to take. Scraps. See, I took a knee with him over at the chapel. And he told me all about the two of you. All the shit you pulled up top when you got out. Mm, I do think fondly of those days. I hope there's no hard feelings. You know, a girl's gotta have her hobbies. I think he remembers a little differently. Oh, boy, you know those religious types. They're always so dramatic. Down here ranting and raving like a fool. Pressing his palms together so tight, <laughs> you think he was trying to hold on to something. <laughs> well, I ain't gonna disagree with you there. Son of a bitch doesn't even blame me for what you did. And see, I almost walked out of the room right there and then, but then I, I realized something. He had something of yours. Something valuable. Guy reaches into his pocket. The Jeffreys are ready to pounce, but a single glance from the mister calls them off. He pulls out a small satchel, displaying it with purpose. A gesture designed to both show the guards he's no threat and entice the mister's curiosity. The mister waves him forward. He approaches her desk and dumps the contents out. Slimy white pebbles slop onto the wooden desktop. She picks one up and examines it more closely. 
It's one of a preacher's teeth covered in blood. From the looks of it, Guy got pretty damn near all of them. A realization washes over her face, and a grin washes over Guy's. <laughs> Bravo! I did not see this coming. Yeah, I gotta say, I thought it was pretty clever to carve it into his teeth. I mean, hide it right there in plain sight. All the match heads just gawking at him like he was the best show in town. I'm even more impressed. Some of those brain-dead burnouts put it all together and made it out. You don't even realize what you did, do you? Jeffrey, do you see? She looks around the room <laughs> at her dumbfounded followers. You boxed yourself in, cowboy. I'm fine living on this island. This is where I rule. Where I put my feet up. You? You've been itching to get out since you washed ashore. How are you expecting to get out now? Guy shifts his weight uneasily. Oh, right, right, right. Your boss. Surely he'll come to sweep you up off your feet and plant you in that corner office you've been eyeing. All it would take is just one call. One confirmation that you were worth a damn and could do your fucking job. Do anything without sitting on the sidelines and watching. So what's stopping you? Guy is a move behind. The mister tosses him a broken radio knob. He doesn't recognize it at first, but clarity comes like a shotgun blast as Jeffrey dumps the remaining parts of his dismantled radio onto the desk. Even though Guy's torn up the map and completed his mission, without his lifeline to the powers that be, there's no reward waiting. You cut off. Left adrift, and baby, the waters are getting choppy. You better think faster, Guy. I'm still one step ahead of you, and I can't even walk. Ain't that something? <laughs> Honey, it's beautiful. Now, here's the part where I, yet again, tell you to run along, you're boring me, so on and so forth. I'm a little tired today, so forgive me for the brevity. Now, if you want to be of some use, you could clean up this mess you made on my desk. I'm offering you a job, sweetie. You'd be wise to take it. I'm running the best game in town. Guy stays silent, head hung, all out of moves. You tell me I got no choice. Well, see, now we're agreeing on something. Another Jeffrey comes into the room, rushing to the mister's side, and whispers something in her ear. She smiles. Seems we have some visitors from town. So, my little lamb, you got the length of a staircase to make your decision. If you accept my generous offer, she gestures to a side door in her office. There's your harbor. If you rather take your chances with the sharks than stay where you are, you won't even have the time for a blindfold and a cigarette. Anger roars behind Guy's eyes. He moves to the side door and opens it, a large closet, and quietly closes the door behind him. The mister's door opens and Arnie Dunn walks in, fresh out of a pile of dirt with a throbbing lump on the back of his head courtesy of Guy's shovel. He's flanked by Cowboy and Bird and Curtis, bringing up the rear. The Jeffreys tense up, all ready to protect their queen. The townies exchange glances with him, ready for a throwdown if provoked. I'm guessing you have a pretty good reason for interrupting my day. Or at least I hope so. We ain't here to kick up dust, unless you start kicking first. <laughs> Remind me which one you are. Arnold. But you can just think of us as concerned citizens. We need a favor. It's got to do with all of us. Hmm. Go on. 
There's a stranger in town. I've been informed. He's been sniffing around, but now he took something that's ours and he roughed up a bunch of our boys. We're still pulling some from that wreckage, and we intend to make that right. What, you need me to referee your little boys club? We need your eyes and ears. We need all these men you got on standby. Jeffrey? Oh no, I need Jeffrey. I couldn't possibly give him up. Well, not for nothing. That's strangers with the company. And it serves you just as good as it serves us to keep them in the dark about what we're all doing out here. Keep moving, boys. I thought you had something tasty to offer. Jeffrey, show them out. You need them, Jeffrey, so much? How's this for enticing? You help us now, we consider that an act of friendship. You sit up here with all your men and just watch that shit-eating greenhorn get away? We're gonna take that as a slap in the face. And we gonna slap back. <laughs> We're gonna start picking off your Jeffries. You'll get some of our boys back. But when you got no one left to help you, to protect you, the odds will be on this side of the desk. Now you're just being disrespectful. So I encourage you to check your tone. Otherwise, I'm gonna plant you in the dirt out there. Yeah. <laughs> we figured you'd say something like that. Just us four shit kickers standing here, right? Whole lot more are you. But if there's gonna be a tussle, we thought we'd at least make it a fair one. Go ahead. Roll your ass over to that window. Take a good look out. <laughs> the mister hesitates, then gestures for Jeffrey to roll her over to the window. She looks out to see a large mob of townspeople on the horizon heading their way in a cloud of menace. I'm proud of you boys. But we can keep going back and forth all day. I get a few of yours. You get a few of mine. Why don't I just do us a favor and save us all some time? <laughs> I'd like to get back to my afternoon. What if I just told you where you can find him? Well, now I reckon that'd be a lovely place to venture. The mister nods to the side door. The closet door swings open, and Guy is greeted by the sadistic smile of Cowboy and his soon-to-be wardens. Oh, yeah. That'll do just fine. Cowboy <laughs> sacks Guy in the stomach, doubling him over and lands another lick on the back of his head. Give me a hand with this piece of shit. Arnold heads over and helps Cowboy yank Guy out into the office. Curtis goes up to the window and signals in a board order to the approaching mob of townspeople, now nearly at the mansion. Pleasure doing business with you. We'll be on our way. One last thing. Bring him over here. Arnold and Cowboy manhandle Guy, dragging him in front of the mister's desk, the toes of his boots dragging on the floor the whole way. Guy lifts his head to meet her eyes with disgust. Well, shoot. Thought we had some fun, but you heard him. No sense reasoning with brutes. We don't even speak the same language. Yes, sweetie. Just so your last memory of me ain't a sour one. Jeffrey. Jeffrey strikes a match on the desk and holds it in front of Guy. What the fuck you doing? We don't want them all lit up. We want them to feel everything he got coming. And there's plenty of it, boy. Oh, hush. You got the rest of eternity to make him squeal. Let the piggy play in the mud for a little. Cowboy gives in and shoves <laughs> Guy towards the mister, slamming him into the desk. Yeah, go ahead. You're gonna need it. Guy leans forward and inhales the match. He loses his footing for a minute, then rights himself. His eyes blink shut, then reopen wide. 
Guy's vision fills with the bloom. The walls pulse and glow, revealing the world's welds to him once again. The preacher's teeth on the desk emit a bold light. He can make out the symbols etched into them by the mister so long ago in another life. Cowboy and Arnold approach Guy from behind and grab him under the arms. Moving in a flash, Guy kicks both his feet back and into the legs of Cowboy and Arnold. His momentum pulls them down, and all three of them hit the desk, smashing their heads. Guy is numbed up from the flame, and his disregard for his own well-being is his secret weapon. As Guy slides backwards and out of their grasp, the mister grabs her knife from her desk drawer and stabs down into Cowboy's cheek, putting him in place as he screams. His cries reach no one who cares. Arnold's out cold from the blow to his head, and the Jeffreys made short work of subduing the other two townies, dragging them out of the room. No one comes into my house and gives me ultimatums. Don't you ever forget who I am. Guy rights himself and stands amongst the frenzy, blood running down his forehead. Some fresh real estate for the rot crowd. Cowboy screams stop as the mister bludgeons him unconscious. I think a war sounds like a hell of a lot of fun. Throw that one back. The gang of Jeffreys pick up Arnold's body, carrying him to the window, and tosses him out with the thoughtless speed of someone chewing out a housefly. The gauntlet has been thrown. War has begun. The townspeople and the army of Jeffreys collide at the mansion's front door like waves hitting a rocky shore. The mister delights in the chaos and does what she does best, give orders. Jeffrey, let's give these half-wits a show. Guy is hidden by the smokescreen of violence, at least for the moment. He goes to work sawing his restraints on the knife protruding from Cowboy's cheek, still unconscious and pinned at the desk like a butterfly behind glass. With all four limbs now available, Guy rushes to the mister, looming above her menacingly. We gotta move. The mister eyes Guy suspiciously, not sure what's behind the sudden desire to make nice with her. You and I can have words later. Right now, I'm not about to wind up on the wrong side of this scuffle. And I need you well enough to make me a deal. Jeffrey, you're in charge here. Make sure no one makes a mess of the place. You four come with me. Everyone else, we meet at the end. The mister and the four guards gather her crutches and wheel her back to the stairwell. Everyone moves, like this has all been rehearsed. One of the guards keeps an eye on Guy and an elbow in his back, prodding him to move forward. Jeffrey lifts the mister out of her chair and whisks her down the stairs. One guard in front, one behind, and one putting the muscle on Guy as they make their way into a downstairs parlor. Again with an almost instinctual grace, the lead Jeffrey tosses some furniture aside, pulls a rug from the floor, and opens a hidden hatch leading to a long idle ladder and an underground tunnel. One guard goes down and gives the all clear. They lower the mister's chair, then the mister herself. Everybody in, one after another. Guy peeks down into the hole, still feeling the effects of the bloom. He sees the glowing arteries of the land below. There's no time to marvel, as he's jabbed in the back to keep moving. The underground tunnel is uneven and hand-dug, dirt walls barely wide enough to fit two across. Guy's eyes dart around the neon catacombs, the dirt's glow rising and falling as if the land itself was breathing. The mister under Jeffreys move with purpose, while Guy just tries to keep up. He desperately scans the walls, looking for something reminiscent of the symbols on the preacher's teeth. 
trying to piece together the failsafe map the mister carved into them. Guy finds the first piece of the puzzle, a symbol making its presence known amidst the tangled glow. A marker, a step forward. How much further we got? What's your hurry? Afraid of the dark? Guy brings up the rear. The guard in front of him turns around to offer a don't-try-anything-funny stare, reassuring Guy of his place in this party. The ass end of the operation. Nah, just don't trust your lab dogs is all. Well, at least you're wising up. Let's pick up the pace, boys. The blooming Guy's vision fades out and fades back up for a split second. He clenches his eyes and opens them again. Focusing the drug's effect, he knows when it fades, he'll be without a map. The clock is ticking now, and the rot in his wounds is piling up. The pain magnifying. It might be time to try something drastic before it's too late. Guy grabs a rock off the ground and smashes the guard walking in front of him in the head. He discreetly lays him down in the dirt and takes his place in line. One down, three to go. The next Jeffrey in line drags the mister's arm crutches with him. Guy takes a moment to gather himself, rationing his energy. In a burst, Guy grabs one of his crutches, yanking Jeffrey backwards. As he's spun around, Guy pops him in the face before he can open his mouth. Two more. We're almost there. Keep up now. Next in line is the Jeffrey pushing the mister along in her chair. The stakes are raised and Guy is ready to call. He's about ready to pounce when the lead Jeffrey holds up his hand, and they all freeze. He goes up ahead to the hatch in the ceiling. A shaft of light peeks through from above. The drug's still wearing off, and the rot won't wait, so Guy won't either. He swings the crutch at the next Jeffrey in line, the one pushing the wheelchair. It connects with a crack, collapsing the mister's escort to the ground. She turns and stares a furious hole through Guy. You dumb son of a bitch! The last Jeffrey is already charging from the front, better to kill for his master. As a diversion, Guy dumps the mister out of a chair and sends the Jeffrey diving to cradle her fall. Guy breaks the crutch over her diving savior's back, then makes one more pained attack to make sure she's got no one left to fight for her. Not down here in the dark, at least. Poor dog still got some fight left in him, huh? But no new tricks. You got Jeffrey on both ends of this tunnel. Where do you think you gonna go? Guy grabs the mister, pulls her up, and wraps what's left of the rope that was binding his wrists around her throat. They limp along to the exit, the mister thrashing on her unsteady crooked legs, cursing him the whole way. Go ahead, keep moving. Just giving that rope a good reason to dig deeper. On the surface, the hatch flings open, and all is silent. When they crest the hatch's frame, Guy is met by wave after wave of Jeffrey circling them, awaiting the mister's arrival. Some stare him down, others keep their eyes on the ruckus behind them at the mansion, all of them ready for a fight in either direction. Guy emerges with the mister using her as a shield, the rope around her neck, his forearm braced against her back. He brandishes the broken crutch in the other hand, keeping distance between him and the mob, who have erupted in a panicked fury for their queen. Guy spins her around to ward off the surrounding horde. Call him off. You haven't exactly put yourself in the position to earn favors. Guy scans the scene while trying to keep the mister in between him and the Jeffreys. He clenches his eyes shut, hard, and reopens them. He searches the illuminated landscape for another marker as the colors and pulsing light fade up and down like a flashlight running out of batteries. There, in the distance, 
guy can recognize another symbol from the teeth, the next marker on the mistress map. Guy drags her towards the next waypoint as the Jeffreys orbit around them like rabid dogs. One breaks formation and snaps at Guy, who catches him with a crutch's splintered end. There are no warning shots. That's it. Lash out. Get it out of your system. Guy continues on, following the symbol's path, stuttering and coughing the whole way. Run yourself down to empty. The mister barks through shallow breaths, the struggle taking its toll on her. I got a legion of Jeffrey. And you're alone. And honey, you are falling apart. Guy ignores her taunts and continues dragging her along. The bloom is fading, but the symbols lead east. The Jeffreys charge him again. Guy does the math. One weapon and too many goons. He adjusts his strategy and turns the crutch's jagged edge on the mister, digging it into her temple. A trickle of blood runs down her cheek. The Jeffreys wail and gasp in horror as Guy backs away from them. For a moment, it looks like he has the upper hand. They've shifted from aggressive pursuers to scared negotiators. Then, suddenly, the mob comes to a halt. Guy takes a couple more steps back to see some distance, but the Jeffreys seem hypnotized, frozen by whatever it is they can see at his back. Guy turns. It's the cornfield. The droning screams surge from inside and fill the air. The mister scoffs at Guy. I figured you want to find out on your own because you're such a big boy now. But you ain't gonna like this next part. Not wanting to believe it, Guy retraces the path of symbols and sees that, indeed, his route travels directly into the corn. Even if you start on the trail, you ain't gonna have your sight long enough to keep on tracking it. Guy sizes up the Jeffreys, the cornfield, and its razor-sharp gauntlet. The lack of options. Drop that stinger of yours and I'll take it easy on you. My mercy clock's counting down, though. Give it up before it hits zero. Guy drops the crutch and eases his grip slightly. Yeah, that, yeah that's it. The Jeffreys cautiously begin to close the perimeter. Guy is practically panting from exhaustion and the rot stinging barbs. He grimaces in pain one last time. Guy barrels into the cornfield with the mistress as shield. She screams as she pierces the veil, taking the first of many lashes from the razor-sharp leaves. The Jeffreys cry out for the leader and plunge ahead like lemmings. The mister flails as they charge through the corn. Guy sticks to the map's path, which minimizes the carnage, but far from eliminates it. The path's not exactly cleared, but it's definitely not the thresher he saw the first time he entered the corn. Someone has carved out a very loose trail, one that was worn further by the junkies who managed to get this far and find their way out. The ones Guy was originally sent to pursue, those who put together the mister's puzzle. The flame's second sight, the map engraved on the preacher's tusks and complete disregard for pain all converged along this broken road. Guy keeps his eyes on the symbols, He's still unsteady, though, struggling against the mister's writhing at his rapidly dissolving strength. <laughs> she takes the brunt of the cornfield's punishment, but even the small amount Guy takes is too much. 
The Jeffreys scream and struggle after them. Their ignorance to the hidden path makes their pursuit a much bloodier affair. Their numbers decreasing the deeper they get, some dropping to the ground in bundles of torn flesh. Thank God, Devin! I know you think you're headed out, but there's no reason to take me through. Guy ignores her and presses forward, keeping his eyes on what remains of his glowing guide. But as the drug's effects bleed out of his system, the symbols merely exist as an echo, barely there at all. Let me stay. Let me stay. Let me serve my time. You want to tear yourself up, have at it. A consistent dynamic noise slowly rises. It's different than the drone. Guy pauses and tries to place this new sound. He notices the rot-covered bodies on the ground, as if they just appeared, despite having trudged through them this whole melee. They shriek, clawing at whatever they can, grabbing onto any loose limb that passes. Now that he's still, they begin to crawl up his legs, then the misters, like ants swarming some sweet melted mess. There is snowball going downhill, gathering mass, rotting, festering mass. Guy stutter steps to let more of these decaying bundles of nerves and teeth cling on. Then the Jeffreys, a growing pile of bodies he's now dragging along. He wants it. He welcomes it. He's collecting them. I barely made it out last time. You think you'll do better? Guy staggers like a boxer in his final rounds. The bloom dies and fades from his vision along with the glowing trail that leads to salvation. His eyes dart around in panic. There's no indication of which direction avoids the butchery. No more shortcuts, no worn path. Out of options, Guy follows the only lead he has. The indistinct noise that gave him pause earlier. It pulls him straight through the slaughterhouse of barbarous leaves. The rotting mass of mangled bodies holds steady, moving forward with him. The mister coughs, spitting a fine mist of blood into the air. Congratulations, boy. Here. They smash through the edge of the cornfield, breaking the perimeter through sheer desperation. The cries of pain crescendo in a deafening roar, and then fall suddenly silent before the overwhelming presence of that sound he could not place. Rushing water. Guy finds himself on the narrow bank of a small river. It flows steady and easy, unaware of all the evil that lies just beyond. With barely enough strength to keep his eyes open, Guy gazes into the crystal blue water. The mister smiles a blood-soaked smile. For a moment, it's only them. But it's only a moment. Still entwined, the shredded bodies and torn-up Jeffreys vibrate with agony. The rotting mass pushes forward out of the cord. They have nowhere else to go, like buffalo off a cliff. Guy does his best to bear their weight as they pile and crawl further onto him and the mister. She lifts her head to speak in a harsh whisper. When we get out, we'll all be right up there together. And I'm gonna make your life miserable. You beg to come back. To die. Guy's knees start to buckle. He's a dam ready to burst. <laughs> We're not leaving. Guy lets his tired muscles collapse. He falls forward in an almost graceful descent, dragging the howling mass of bodies down with him. 
The whole lot of them has more wound than flesh. As their limbs touch the water, its purity begins to vanish. The abundance of rot seeps out from them and starts to infect the river. The hue shifting from a peaceful blue to a diseased tint that matches the rest of the landscape. The rot radiates through the water, blossoming outward. It takes over like black ink dropped onto a clean canvas, voiding whatever healing powers the water might have brought or escape it may have granted. The bodies thrash, howl, and gasp as they slowly sink to the bottom. The mister wails and wretches like a slug covered in salt. They'll all remain suspended there, trapped in time like victims of Vesuvius. Guy's face is still, unemotional, calm. The exit is finally closed off to the sinners of this place, including him. At the bottom of it all, we'll have eternity to think about what got him there. But for now, he's done good. No Better Lot is an original production of Dime Store Films. Written and directed by Christian Gradelli and Hunter Norris. Narrated by Stan Adams. Performed by Mike Schminke, Brittany Baker, John Mossman, Travis Delgado, Jim Salturos, Christopher Meister, Brian Noonan, Matt Young, Adria Don, Marshall Crawford, Anthony Dobrowalski, and Sam Beck. Original score by Abby Rajashaker and Matt Wenzel. Engineered by Brian Bachman. Dialogue and narration engineered by Nick Sherman. Recorded at Decade Music Studio in Chicago. Sound design and mix by Matt Wenzel. Script supervision by Jake Weissman. Casting by Sarah Clark. You can find us on the internet at NoBetterLot.com and DimeStoreFilms.com and on social media at DimeStoreFilms. Films.